So a little program note before we get started. We've been updating you all on social media and on our newsletter, but because we record so far in advance to accommodate uh, my disabling chronic illness, I haven't yet dropped a note in here. So I wanted to be sure to do that, uh, to let you all know that Reading One Stands with Black Lives Matter and we are dedicated to raising awareness and uh, sharing resources through our various outlets. So I will link some places where you can go donate uh, and some other resources. Uh, there's a wide range of things. So whatever your situation in life, there will be something there that you can do to help support. But we highly encourage you to go check that out. Uh, in addition to continuing our coverage of Black Women Writers for Caribbean Heritage Month. Uh, my next few interviews are set up and I will be talking to a few different authors uh, to discuss the challenges that face Black people in this country and beyond, but also to celebrate Black joy, which is also important. We've also pulled some of our uh, backlist interviews and posted them on our Instagram as well, if you would like to go check out more author interviews uh, that focus on uh, Black lives and their stories. So I just want to put a little note in here to say that and to link to those resources. And if you have any questions, you can DM us on social media or email us at hello at readingwomenpodcast.com. So that's it for now. And on to our show. Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Jacqueline Masters, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 90, where we're talking about Lucy by Jamaica Kincaid and The Confessions of Franny Langdon by Sarah Collins. You can find a complete transcript and a list of all the books mentioned on today's episode linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So this month's theme is Caribbean Heritage Month and Kendra and I were really excited to do this theme this month because, I, I mean, speaking for myself, I've been really fortunate to be taking part in Cindy from Book of Sins, uh, her monthly uh, Caribbean Reads uh, book clubs that she hosts over on Instagram. So last year, I think I read along with most of the books that she, she shared. So um, I had a lot of really great recommendations, including one of our discussion picks, uh, so I'm really glad that we got to do this topic and share some of the brilliant Caribbean reads that we've come across. Yes, I really enjoyed this month. And this month has been like on our pending theme list for a while now. So I was very excited that you chose it because there's so many great authors here and I discovered Jamaica Kincaid alone. So like, I mean, that's blessing in and of itself I'm, I'm i'm right there with you this was my first jamaica kincaid too and she's an author that i've wanted to read for a while so i loved that we had the perfect first reading experience for her <laughs> very true so kendra you have our first discussion pick today our first discussion pick is lucy by jamaica kincaid this is jamaica kincaid's second novel and it was published originally in 1990 the paperback now is out from fsg and this is about lucy who is a teenage girl from the west indies who comes to uh i believe like new york city to be a nanny and like live in maid for this white affluent family and they seem like the perfect family so you have these two parts of the book where lucy is trying to 
you know, adjust to a new culture, but also realizing that the family she works for has an immense amount of privilege and they just, then they really have no idea about how uh, privileged they are. And so there's a lot of discussion about that. And this book is, I feel like I need to know, only 163, 64 pages. So Jamaica Kincaid tells this entire well thought out and fleshed out story in such a short amount of space. And overall, I was just blown away by how great her writing is. Yeah, and I I listened to this one as an audiobook, and I, I feel like I just flew through it because once I started, I just couldn't put it down. I was so mesmerized by her writing and just getting to know Lucy and the world as she was describing it. And yeah, I loved it too. One of the reasons why I picked up this book was because C. Pam Zhang recommended it to me in her interview. And at the time we recorded the interview, I was researching frantically trying to find a discussion book because I'd read a lot of books from Caribbean women writers, but nothing had just like struck that, you know, sparkling spot of like, I'm obsessed with this book kind of place that I really want, you know, my discussion picks to to find because I really prefer them to be like in bookstagram language, like five-star reads. And so... (laughs) And lots to discuss as well. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I want them to have a lot of literary depth. And so I thought this was a great opportunity to read Jamaica Kincaid. Um, So I thought we could talk a little bit about her and her background and where she comes from, because a lot of her own personal life has informed her writing in a lot of ways. Um, so Jamaica Kincaid uh, is from Antigua, and so I had never read an author from Antigua. And this really makes me think about what Laura said in our last episode about how a lot of times a certain countries in the Caribbean are represented more than others. And that really got me thinking about the books that we were choosing and where they were from, because as we know here on Reading Women, even though we talk about certain themes about specific groups of people or whatever, there's a lot of diversity within those. So that was an interesting discussion to have with Aura as we were discussing her books, but also here as we were choosing our discussion picks. So I watched an interview with Jamaica Kincaid, and it was a few years ago, I think, when it was originally published. But Uh, She talked about how she says, my parents had too many children. And so they sent her to America when she was a teenager to work as a servant, as she describes. And so I believe a lot of Lucy comes from her own experience of immigrating to the United States and uh, working as a housekeeper or whatever she did as a teenager. And so she had a very vibrant imagination from really early on and she imagined herself as a writer but as she says she imagined herself as a lot of things particularly imagined herself as an english person not a white person she imagined she imagined that british was a term beyond such things as race but later on she realized that it was a much bigger conversation and she kind of laughed at herself and her own like childhood self matching like English person <laughs> was like this magical creature beyond us mere mortal designations and uh, I had to laugh along with her to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I listened to a similar interview and I found those comments about her own personal experience really interesting because I, I didn't know them going into the book so I guess I, when I was reading it, it, it felt so vivid the way she was describing everything. And one of the things I mentioned on our last episode was 
one of the things that really stood out in her writing for me was her, like the depth of her observations and how well she articulated and conveyed so much in a sentence. I think was you were saying that too as well. I just, there was so much that she, yeah, I feel like she has a very impressive way of conveying a lot in a very short amount of words. Oh, yes. And, you know, I, I love a lot of books for their storytelling or their structure, but I feel like there, it's definitely a rare book that really just impresses me by its prose alone. Mm. And so when I, I agree 100% with C. Pam Zhang that uh, Jamaica Kincaid is just such a great prose stylist because she re, like she writes so beautifully and includes so much in her sentences and can tell an entire story in a sentence. And it's just mind-boggling how amazing she is. And this is just her second novel. And while I believe she wrote a work of nonfiction between her first and second novel, that's just very impressive for how early on in her career she was. Mm. And she also writes short stories, I believe. Yes, yes. And she just does it all, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have this is her, this is the first and only I've read by her. But like to have that sort of dexterity over so many different forms, uh, I, I think that's always impressive in writers. I interviewed Mina Kandasami earlier this year about uh, the portrait of the writer as a young wife. And she talked about her experience with autofiction and saying that she wanted to separate, you know, the art and the artist. And she didn't want people looking into her own personal life to find out what was air quotes real and what wasn't real. And I, I'm reading up on the research for this episode. There was a similar conversation with Jamaica Kincaid that, yes, a lot of her work is based on some of her experience, like loosely inspired by, but she didn't want people to think that she was writing like word for word or experience by experience upon her own life. And she wanted that separation as well. Mm. And I find that interesting that so many women are just having to have this conversation like over and over. It's like people are just so obsessed with women's writers, like what is real from their life and what is fiction. Yeah, there's, there's almost like this implication that it's it's beyond her imagination because it's something that she actually experienced firsthand. And I think, you know, she's clearly separating her own experiences um, in real time to how she's writing her characters um, I think that's a point that um, I really took away when I listened to your interview with Mina Kandasami. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about how really it's a lack of imagination on literary critics' part mm. if they can't understand that, yes, there is universal truth in a novel. That's what makes a great novel. That's what makes great literature is that these universal truths. So, yes, the book is truthful, but it's not like her experience, if that makes sense. And I feel like women more often so than men, some men do also receive this kind of weird commentary, but mostly women who write these books and it's always like, oh, well, what did you experience in all of this stuff? And so I feel like Jamaica Kincaid wants her books viewed as art. And I really highly respect that because, I mean, it is an incredibly beautiful book. And that's a a thing that we think we need to give more women is that they are creating art, not just telling a story about their life, if that makes sense. Mm, Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about her prose. And so Early on, I started this audiobook, and normally I, I, you know, walk the corgi or I fold laundry or, you know, I ship book blind dates while I'm listening to books, but I stopped in the middle of everything I was doing and my mouth just dropped open because of the gorgeous prose that was just 
in the book really early on. And so uh, the narrator, Lucy, has recently moved to the United States, and she talks about her experience of having recently moved and her experience um, with homesickness. So she writes, In books I had read from time to time, when the plot called for it, someone would suffer from homesickness. A person would leave a not very nice situation and go somewhere else, somewhere a lot better, and then long to go back where it was not very nice. How impatient I would become with such a person, for I would feel that I was in a not very nice situation myself, and how I wanted to go somewhere else. But now I, too, felt that I wanted to be back where I came from. I understood it. I knew where I stood there. If I had had to draw a picture of my future then, it would have been a large gray patch surrounded by black, blacker, blackest. And you learn so much about Lucy as a character in that single paragraph. Yeah, it's beautiful prose. And I feel like that really gives you a lot of insight to who Lucy is as a character. And throughout the book, she discusses a lot of things like her own sexual experiences, her own relationship with the children that she watches, how she watches uh, the woman, uh, the mother in the story, Mariah, how her marriage kind of spirals and um, dissolves in, in front of her eyes. and But you still have so much insight into who she is as a person, even though the book is only 100, you know, 63, mm. 64 pages. And it really is a study in her character. Like you said, that it's, there's no plot to speak of. Um, it's just a, a deep dive and an exploration of her her character around all of these observations and how she's perceiving the changes in you know, from where she's been to where she is now. And um, one of the things that I really enjoyed in the writing was the way that she would describe, like, nature or food um, and then draw those comparisons that way. I found that a really effective um, aspect of the writing. Yeah. Yeah, it was, she just does a great job with Lucy as a character, and, like, you can see her and hear her voice in your head. And even down to the chapter titles, so they're about... I don't know, five, six chapters in the book. And there's this one called The Tongue. And it begins with, at 14, I discovered that a tongue had no real taste. I was sucking the tongue of a boy named Tanner, and I was sucking his tongue because I liked the way his fingers looked on the keys of the piano as he played it. And I liked the way he looked from the back as he walked across the pasture. And also when I was close to him, I liked the way behind his ears smelled. And I'm just like, if that's not a 14-year-old's mind, like... (laughs) They're so perceptive, and they're all things that we may have all seen or sensed ourselves, but she just puts them together in a way that is so unique and gorgeous. That's a stunning sentence. And she uses a lot of concrete imagery as well, like the fingers Mm. on the piano, like the way his ears smell, like you can see that and you've had experiences like that in Mm. your memories. Like when I think about my 14 year old self, those are the types of things that I remember and the way that she's able to capture those memories and use that familiarity in the book to create feelings for the reader and that connection is just so skillful. And that's a rare talent that I see even in writers I love and enjoy. So one of the things I want to touch on, because we're going to talk about this again in a more 
um, serious way, I guess, in our next discussion pick. But here, you know, Lucy works for a white woman in New York City, and she has a lot of affluence and, and privilege, and she's just not really well aware of it. She's kind of oblivious, and she uh, doesn't understand where Lucy come from. And while well-meaning, Mariah really is just kind of that well-meaning, clueless-minded liberal person kind of character. And and I feel like that's something important to note because, I, you know, as a white woman, I want to make sure that I'm listening to people when they tell me their stories. And I feel like that's something that Mariah doesn't do. She doesn't listen to Lucy and who she is as a person. She makes a lot of assumptions about Lucy's life and what she experienced. And I think Mariah very much wants Lucy to experience the, the the life that she's had. So there was a scene really early on where she's telling Mariah about, you know, you've got to see these, I think it was a daffodils. She was talking about these yellow flowers in the park and she's like, you've got to see them. We've got to go away to this place so you can see them. And it's just this, I felt like it was a really effective scene to cement that she didn't really want her to experience it for any other reason than it was just something that she'd had and she wanted to impose that experience on her in a sense um, and I wondered whether it was emblematic of, of more. Um, I just thought that was really well done as well. And I feel like this is uh, many generations removed from the white women that we're going to discuss in our next discussion pick. But I f- think you can definitely see uh, that there's still echoes of that privilege and experience in Mariah uh, to a much smaller degree. But there's just an obliviousness, a well-meaning obliviousness. And I really appreciate the way that Jamaica Kincaid handled this in such a very precise, like, I hate this term, but like razor sharp way. Like she got to the point very quickly and portrayed it in a lot of concrete examples of what that privilege looks like. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way of explaining it. Um, so so obviously we love Lucy I just have a red prose like this in so long and I'm just so impressed. And there's a reason that she is a classic and I'm 80% sure she's going to be on the reading woman challenge next year uh, because she's just that good. <laughs> and it was great as an, it was great as an audiobook as well. I, the narration was mesmer- like, I, I listened to this in one sitting. It was, it had me hooked completely. <laughs> and I mean, you all know, I love Robin Miles. Like, I'm obsessed with her and she <laughs> reads this book and I like lost it. I'm pretty sure like I screamed out loud on this like back road that I walk on when I start hit play and Robin Miles voice came through my earbuds. <laughs> She's so good at what she does. She reads NK Jemison's audiobooks and all of this stuff. So if you have Hoopla, it's on Hoopla and you can just log mm-hmm. on and get it. Um, it's also many other audiobook places. She narrated The Warmth of Other Suns as well, didn't she? She did. She, yeah. she did. Yeah. Because I, I think that's where I first recognized her voice because we listened to that for our last episodes that we recorded together. And I was like, sounds so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have to include a Robin Miles audiobook like, yep. for our next thing, apparently. <laughs> this is now The Robin Miles Show, which I'm definitely not sad about. So that is Lucy by Jamaican Cade, and the paperback is out from FSG Books. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. 
The sponsor for this episode is us. It's Reading Women Month. So June is our birthday month and all month long, uh, we are celebrating our birthday by some special events. So we have 10% off in our Reading Women store on Etsy. And we also have some brand new merch. Uh, we've partnered with Bonfire again to bring you a brand new t-shirt. It has Reading Women across the front and it comes in a wide range of styles, sizes, and colors. We also have a mug for the first time, and I'm very excited about a mug. If you're not a t-shirt person, surely you are a tea or a coffee person or a hot chocolate person. And so we have that option for you as well. So all of the profits from the store and from our merch goes to support reading women during this tumultuous time. Uh, any money that we receive goes right back into podcast to keep us going so that we can still share wonderful books by women writers with you all. So thanks to all of you for support. You can also go celebrate over on Instagram with a lot of the giveaways that we're doing over there. And we also have a special bingo board where all the contributors have added different prompts. And so it's a fun thing for you to participate paid in this month so that's it so i will link everything down below so you can go check it out and thanks to all of you uh, for joining us here on reading women for our fourth birthday celebration and jacqueline you have our second discussion pick so the second book we're discussing today is The Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Collins and this one is out from Harper here in the U.S. Uh, so this one has a lot of trigger warnings around it, uh, including for very graphic uh, descriptions of violence and bodily harm. So it also deals with a lot of um, very explicit violence against children, um, and it is a narrative that also looks at slavery. So, so yeah, please know those things before you go into it. Um, but... This is a really fascinating novel, and I was so excited to discuss this with Kendra when I found out we were going to be discussing this theme this month. Uh, so Sarah Collins is of Jamaican descent, and she grew up in Grand Cayman, and she studied and practiced law in the UK, where she now lives. Uh, and this really comes through in her writing, I think. Like, as a lawyer, I love reading books by lawyers when so much of the, the plot and the structure centres around a legal narrative. And when it's done as well as it is here, it's just exceptional. Uh, so this one is a story about Franny Langton, uh, and she is a young Jamaican woman that has been brought to London in the 1820s as a gift to a famous natural philosopher. Uh, and the novel opens as she is being accused of murdering this man and his wife, who she has been having an affair with. So the novel starts with this as the, like, you're working backwards from this moment. So it's quite a explosive start. And what I think is really clever structurally in this is that the perspectives shift between a confession narrative that Franny is, like, literally writing out and handing to her lawyer uh, and she is very much dissecting the series of events throughout her life that led to her being in the Old Bailey in the docks uh, in this trial. And she's going back and thinking about this in real time because there's also a lot of complexity around her memory of the, the murders. One of the things that I found really interesting when I was reading about this book and looking up interviews that Collins had done about the book was that she has sort of a true crime aspect to uh, the defence specifically that Franny Langton uses in her trial. I won't mention the name in case it is any spoiler, but 
she did a lot of research on that and the specific use of this defence in the UK and the US around this time. Uh, and she also talks a lot about the experience of black prisoners in, in the US and the UK around this time, um, their experience um, bringing their, their case um, and just their the struggle to convince the court that they were people uh, and that their case needed to be heard in that way. Uh, so there's a lot of really fascinating interviews. I'll link some in the show notes if you want to check them out for further reference. But um, when I sort of went down that rabbit warren, I just, yeah, it was fascinating. Um, so the, the confession format's really interesting. And alongside that, we also get some interviews, some court transcript. Um, and there are the two narrators in the audiobook. So Sarah Collins narrates part herself. Uh, and then Roy McMillan narrates uh, an, another part of the narrative. And one of the things that I thought was really clever thematically with doing this and having Franny really engage with the, the way of telling her story was how much agency in narrative was such a central theme. Um, you know, the way that Franny has had to grapple her whole life with being able to control her destiny in the way that, that is remembered. Um, and, and now in a very literal sense, she's having to construct how that's being remembered as she's being put on trial for murder. So I thought there was a lot of really clever things going on on those levels in the book too. One of the other things I found really fascinating about why Collins wrote this specific narrative as she did was she is a big fan of gothic fiction um, and she really wanted to see black protagonists and black characters as the focal point of these stories. Uh, and, and she's really done that in this this novel. So this one won the Costa Book Awards first novel uh, award in 2019. So I I think there's a very bright future ahead for works by uh, this author. I think she's brilliant. So one of the things that's really interesting to juxtapose in this is uh, the different relationships that Franny has to women in this novel, and specifically white women, um, and the way that Collins has depicted them and is using that very intentionally. Uh, so the way that she writes about her relationship with the, the mistress of, of the plantation uh, is some of the most difficult prose and content to read in the book. Uh, there's a lot of very literal violence, uh, emotional manipulation, uh, and I think to contrast that against the way that Collins then writes Franny's mistress when she arrives in the UK and has that, a romantic relationship with uh, an, an affair, uh, they've just written very differently. And I think they're interesting points of contrast. And I think the way that she uses language around describing these women as well is very intentional as well. So I just wanted to read a short quote, and this is Franny describing this mistress. Well, I am guilty of this. I was a woman who loved a woman, chief among the womanly sins, like barrenness and thinking. After that, my thoughts were all of her, and coarse and lewd, disturbing as dog barks. Oh, the shock of it, the wrongness, the dark, surprising glee. It's beautiful. I just, I thought the, oh, the prose that she uses is stunning, but I feel like there's a real shift in the tone of that when she's describing obviously different characters. But I thought just contrasting these two characters specifically was an interesting, um, an interesting one. And I think the role of white women on plantations is not really something that I've seen discussed 
a ton, but this is more focused on the relationships between women. And, you know, the wife of the plantation owner is such a cruel person. And while she herself is faced with sexism and all the limitations of being a woman, she still then is almost looking for someone else to crush beneath her feet to make herself feel better. And you see that over and over and over. And in many ways, she is more cruel than the master of the plantation. And that was that was really difficult to read, but I think it's incredibly important and true to what people who were enslaved on this plantation experienced. I think it's it's so well done, particularly because the male plantation owner is written with such. There's a lot of physicality to the cruelty he inflicts um, with a lot of the kind of science experiments, for want of a better word, uh, the, the very much mired in the physical, um, whereas a lot of the cruelty and manipulation that his wife undertakes is very much... It starts from an emotional point of manipulation and cruelty. But yeah, I felt like they made quite the pair to contrast against. And, you know, I was thinking about how Franny's experience with her um, when she moves to the UK and becomes the maid of this household there. And so she starts this affair with her mistress and she falls very much in love. And other people who are also servants, like try to tell her like, she is your mistress. You can never be her friend. But Franny is like head over heels in love with this woman and experiences a love that she's never experienced before. But the power dynamic there is still very much a part of their relationship and uh, becomes a bigger part later on in the book, which I don't want to give spoilers, but it's a very interesting dynamic because she thought she had found a white woman that wasn't like the mistress that she experienced on the plantation, but in reality was still a type of manipulation that happened there. Even if the mistress genuinely did love Franny, it was still not a great relationship or situation. Yeah, I, that's such an interesting point. And I think there's just so much intentional in how she, she wrote that, that that would still be a position that Franny would be in. Um, despite the narrative literally moving to the UK and Franny, I think there's a lot of discussion amongst the other maids in the household that f- they're, they're employees, they're not enslaved persons as Franny was back on the plantation. But I think Franny very much still carries this sense of duty uh, and, and there, there is still very much that power dynamic and that exploitation of that relationship yeah, and it's like Franny wants to believe that, you know, the woman that she works for in the UK is not like the mistress that she grew up with. And it's like repeatedly over and over, her trust is broken. And how she just cannot give up this woman that she fell in love with. And it's this whole dramatic experience throughout the story. And I was sitting on the edge of my seat, like, what is going to happen with this? And when will Franny realize this woman isn't good for her? And like, you know all the things that you think of, which is paralleled with the really uh, incredibly intense and serious flashbacks that she has of her life on the plantation. And it's a very emotional reading experience, to put it lightly. And because Franny starts, like, that opening scene in the Old Bailey where she's starting the narrative, she doesn't remember, like, what happened. So the flashbacks that we're getting as readers through the story 
are what Franny's getting in real time during the trial. So I think that really, like the amping up of the pace, particularly at the end, right before verdict was delivered, to me was just like so captivating and the, the, the yeah the pacing in that final part particularly was just I mean <laughs> I remember when we were discussing this in the book club and I think everyone was just um, speechless at how well that that last part was executed yeah and I normally don't like I'm not a big historical fiction fan and so I'm always like you know bracing myself for something like that but I I really enjoyed this part of the book of looking at this particular time in history. And we don't have time to get into it today, but there's a lot of commentary how even on the anti-slavery movement, the white people there still wanted to see black people's suffering, but in a different way. And there's a lot of commentary that the people who were anti-slavery still carried some racism with them into their activism. And there's, uh, I think, a very smart commentary on that that's important to understand that even though these people were striving to do good, they still carried a lot of that that baggage with them. Mm, They're still contributing to a problem. Yes. So that is The Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Collins, and it's out from Harper in the U.S., So those are our two discussion picks, and like many of you have requested, we're going to do more further recommendations on the topic if you would like to read more Caribbean literature. So uh, Jacqueline, you have our first one. Yeah, so these are just tasters of some other recommendations. Um, We're not going to go into them in too much detail, but the first one I wanted to recommend is another one that I heard about via Cindy from Book of Sins, and that is Dew Angels by Melanie Schwab. Uh, This one is a a coming of age following a young Jamaican girl called Nola. Um, And what I think is really effectively done in this story is its examination of the theme of colorism uh, and the prejudices that this young girl experiences from her family and her community and particularly in that teenage years uh, of her life. Uh, And the, the narrative itself goes into quite a complex discussion of a lot of other social issues but that was the sort of central thing and a a really important point that Nola grappled with her whole life Um, so that's Dew Angels by Melanie Schwab Uh, and Kendra what was your next recommendation so I'm going to recommend Queenie by Candice Carty Williams Uh, I read this with Laura who was our guest in the first episode on our month on Caribbean Heritage Month and I really loved being able to talk to her about this book because there were a lot of themes in it about, you know, being a person whose family immigrated to, um, well, in this case, the UK, but, you know, Laura immigrated to America, but still that there's a lot of similar experiences there. But also because Laura and I are both women with disabilities, we wanted to look at a book with a woman who is experiencing some form of chronic illness or mental illness or something like that. And Queenie has a form of mental illness in the book, and it primarily happens in the second half of the book. So I won't give you any details on that, but just know that it is there if you would like to see some, uh, representation of someone experiencing mental illness but Queenie is starting this book off where she's like living her life as a 20 something in London she works for like as an editor for this like magazine situation and her boyfriend breaks up with her at the very beginning of the book and that starts her kind of downward spiral of really a lot of forms of self-harm and trying and expressing her negative emotions in unhealthy ways and her trying to come to terms with some of the trauma that she experienced 
And everyone compares this book to like Bridget Jones's diary, but I, I just don't feel like that works really because it's just not, it's just not the same. Like, I think it undersells the book massively to, to draw that comparison because it's, it does so much more. Right. And this book is, you know, it's fun. It's a page turner in a lot of ways, but it still deals with a lot of serious topics. So I feel like, especially right now with all of the turmoil happening in the world, that this still is a way to engage in that conversation with difficult topics like this, but still in a way that won't overwhelm you emotionally you know, when you're already going through so much. So I really liked this book and how it handled that. Like the audiobook is phenomenal. And unfortunately, the audiobook narrator has only narrated one or two other audiobooks here in the US. So I'm just devastated because I loved her so much. Um, That's a shame. I will put her name in the show notes with the link to this book, but she's just so good. So well, hopefully she narrates more. Yes, yes. She's so talented. So um, that is Queenie by Candace Curdy williams So the next one that I wanted to recommend is a short story collection, and that is Everything Inside by Edwige Dantica. Uh, and what really stood out for me from this collection uh, is how much movement there was geographically. So it's looking at stories that are set in the diaspora in Miami, uh, the story set in Port-au-Prince, uh, there's even, I think it's just one story that's set in an unnamed um, country in the Caribbean. But there are a lot of very universal themes that I think uh, a lot of people connect with when they read short stories, regardless of where they're set. So there's things like community and family and love. But there's also some really specific examples of the experiences around immigration and poverty and from a whole range of experiences. And I think the benefit of having all of these geographic settings really allowed that to sort of be explored in a really robust way. Yeah, I think it's it's a collection that readers who enjoyed that book will also enjoy. And Kendra, you had the final book to recommend today. Yes. So this is a book that's on my TBR that was recommended by one of our contributors, Lupita of Lupita Reads on Bookstagram. So this is Dominicana by Angie Cruz. And so I'm going to read a quote that Lupita has on her review because I really thought she really articulated what this book is about pretty well. And so this is a story about Anna who immigrates to the United States. So Lupita says, in quote, Anna, for me, has brought to life all the stories the women in my family have told me about living here. All the funny stories they love to tell about them navigating their lives here initially without knowing the language. How triumphant they felt finally learning the language is exceeding in it. Dominicana is an ode to them, and I can't wait to continue to ask them about their experiences here. Because my hope is that starting with the good could eventually lead to sharing experiences about the bad as well. And I really appreciated Lupita's championing of this book. And there's been a lot of discussion around Dominicana over the past year. I believe it's now out in paperback or will be soon. So um, definitely go check that out if that's something you're interested in. It's on my TBR to read during Caribbean Heritage Month since I try to save at least one book to read during the actual month instead of like, you know, all the reading we do to prep beforehand. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so that's Dominicana by Angie Cruz. Um, So that is our show for today. Uh, Jacqueline, where can listeners find you about the internet? 
So I am on both Instagram and Twitter and my handle is at six minutes for me. And I'm also on BookTube, same name. Uh, And Kendra, where can listeners find you? Uh, Listeners can find me on Instagram and Twitter at K as in Kite, D as in Dylan Winchester. That's KD Winchester. And then I'm also on uh, BookTube at Kendra Winchester, just my name. So nothing overly (laughs) exciting, Um, but they can find me there. Uh, So that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. And to subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. And join us next time where Kendra and Samaya will be talking about books around our July theme, Fight Like a Girl. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. And thank you for listening. <laughs>